0: Hey, this is Randy Robinson and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. All right, so we are in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And in week one, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. and we somewhat talked about love, but more than talking about love, because that was a it was a transitional uh, sermon going from the fruit of the spirit. I mean, the gifts of the spirit into the fruit of the spirit. And so more than talking about love, the point that I was trying to drive home is that we cannot elevate the gifts of the spirit above the fruit of the spirit. And we said that when we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but aren't manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in our daily lives, that we do damage to the kingdom of God. See, we're living in a culture where charisma often trumps character. And as long as someone can give me what I need and can make me feel good and meet my needs, then their character is irrelevant. But this is the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Paul tells us that if we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if you prophesy, speak in the tongues of angels, give words of knowledge, etc., but you don't have love, which is a fruit of the Spirit, then we are nothing. We are just an obnoxious noise. And my fear is that Christianity is losing its voice because we have the gifts of the Spirit, but we are lacking the fruit of the Spirit. And last week... Well, if you were here last week and you came black, God bless you. You are my people. Uh, I'd be willing to say that was one of the toughest messages that I've ever delivered. It was uncomfortable for me, as it probably was for some of you. But the truth is, is we don't grow where it's comfortable. Growth comes in the tension. And we spent time doing a semi-deep dive into what Paul calls the acts of the flesh, And at first glance, all of the things that he lists as acts of the flesh seem almost extreme. It's like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not participating in orgies or illicit sex or drug use or witchcraft and all of those things. But when we dug a little deeper into the the Greek definitions and we kind of gave these words some nuance, we realize that this hits a little closer to home than we think. And so I closed the message last week and already referenced this earlier by asking each of us to be self-reflective, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal areas of our lives that we are acting in the flesh and not bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And I trust that as you meditated on the message and as you meditate on God's word, that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. I trust that he's revealing to you as he is me areas that I need to work on. And so today, as we continue this topic on the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to go back to love. Again, I know we've talked briefly about that in the front end. But again, that was, that was a transitional talking about gifts versus fruit. And so we're going to revisit the topic of love today. And so let's look at Paul's words uh, in the letter that he wrote to the church in first century Turkey. This would be Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law, though those who belong to Jesus or to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, in week one, we said that a gift is something that you receive, referencing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But that fruit is something that has to be cultivated. And So when we become Christ's followers, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live on the inside of us. So if you could think of it this way, and I'm speaking metaphorically, uh, when we're saved or born again, to use the words of Jesus from John chapter three, It's as if the Holy Spirit is planted in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit takes root. Then our spiritual life grows. Right? We should begin bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you planted an orange tree in your backyard, what kind of fruit would you expect during harvest time? Oranges. If you planted a banana tree, you'd expect to get... You guys are really good. (laughs) If you planted a Holy Spirit tree, what kind of fruit would you expect? The fruit of the Spirit. And we said last week, if there's no fruit in our lives, then we have to question whether there's a root of the Spirit in our lives. Now, on the flip side, it's possible... That our trees just need to be cultivated. Remember, gifts are received, fruit, the fruit of the Spirit grows, and it's cultivated. Maybe our Holy Spirit tree needs to be fertilized. I mean, prayer, Bible reading, worship. Look, we've said this a hundred times if we've said it once, but often we don't need new information. We need to do something with the information that we already have. Look, it's no secret that we struggle the most individually when there's a lack of personal Bible reading, prayer, and worship going on in our lives. I love that old Charles Spurgeon quote, that a Bible that's falling apart is usually owned by someone who isn't. Maybe we need to fertilize our spiritual life. Maybe we need some pest control. Pest control is defined as the the killing, reduction, or the elimination of insects that are pests. Listen, if you own an orchard of fruit trees and pests were causing the fruit to be rotten, you would eliminate the pest without prejudice. But for some reason in our spiritual lives, we are content to coexist with the very things that are destroying our fruit. Look, I know I sound like a broken record, but why can't we give up or reduce our social media usage? Why can't we stop watching the news? Author Jordan Rayner says in his book, Redeeming Your Time, I'm going to read a couple quotes from him. He says, quote, three things happened in 2007. First, Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone, ushering in a future in which the lack of a smartphone is almost unheard of in the developed world. Second, Americans started a 10-year, 59% decrease in productivity compared to the previous decade. The next 10 years after the iPhone was released, Americans produced 60% less than they had previous decade. And third, seemingly out of nowhere, anxiety and other mental issues, mental health issues exploded around the globe, especially in teenagers. He says the timing of these events, of of these three events is not coincidence. The rising volume of what C.S. Lewis calls the kingdom of noise is making us less productive and significantly more anxious. According to Time Magazine, more than half of Americans say that the news causes them stress. And many report feeling anxiety, fatigue, sleep loss as a result. Yet one in ten adults checks the news every hour. And 20% of all Americans report constantly monitoring their social media feeds, which often exposes us to the latest news and headlines whether we like it or not. Is it possible that all of the noise is causing our lives to not bear fruit? Noise meaning external information and entertainment that block our ability to be silent and reflective. Has the noise in our lives become, a like, become like a pest devouring our fruit So back to the original statement and question. If you owned an orchard of fruit trees and pests were causing the fruit to be rotten, you would eliminate the pests without prejudice. But in our spiritual lives, why are we content to coexist with the very things that are destroying our fruit? Like I've said this the last few weeks, but God is calling us to be people of his spirit, not just his gifts, but also his fruit. See, I think a lot of times we're just not thinking about it. Or if you grew up in church, you've been quoting Galatians 5 since childhood. You memorized it in Sunday school or children's church or VBS. Right? As a kid, you, you learned, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we had songs about it and raps about it and dances about it. And your kids came home and they put it on, their, you know they do crafts and all kinds of things. And while it's important for our kids to know these things, I think as adults, we've unintentionally sometimes relegated these verses to kids' church. But there's no JV or varsity Bible verses in God's Word. There's just God's Word. And as a Christ follower, bearing fruit is not optional. Bearing fruit is a command. We can't just be, oh, this is, just a, this is a nice Sunday school story for our kids to learn. This is something for, I want my kids to have kindness and patience. I want my kids to have that. And then we just act like morons. My children, and obviously this is a reflection on me. When we're at a red light, they just lose their mind. Come on, let's go. Emmett, it's red. Why are these cars? There's so much traffic. Ugh. Dude, you're three. You're stressing over the traffic. Calm down. What is, but this is a direct reflection of either me or Katie. It's probably her. It's probably <laughs> She's with them on the car more than I am. It's probably. (laughs) Let's look again at the words of Jesus from John, chapter 15, verse one. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now listen to the language that Jesus is using. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Listen, God the Father is concerned with the kind of fruit that we are producing. He's also concerned with the amount of fruit that we are producing or bearing. If we bear no fruit, Jesus said we are cut off. If we are bearing fruit, then there's a pruning process which can be painful. But even though it's painful, it's for our good so that we can bear even more fruit. Remember we talked earlier, growth doesn't come in our comfort zone. It comes in the tension and pruning is not fun. We've, some of us have been through that. Probably everybody in the room has been through a season of pruning where you're like, dude, what is going on? But on the backside of the season, your life flourished more than it was on the front end. Verse six, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Again, bearing fruit is not optional. It's a command. Verse 8, this is to my father's glory that you bear what kind of fruit? Much, much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You see, when we bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we show the world that we are actually disciples of Jesus. We talked about this last week before Paul references the fruit of the spirit. He talks about the acts of the flesh, the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit are at odds with each other. But what does the world see when they look at the church? What does the world see when they look at us? Do they see the fruit of the spirit or do they see people's lives who don't line up with what they say that they believe? Mahatma Gandhi is often quoted as saying I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And I tried to research this and find the actual source. And he said some things that are quoted that are very similar. And so I think this has probably been adapted. And I don't know if he spoke these specific words or not, but I can tell you right now that the sentiment is true. That this is how culture views Christianity. People are tired of Christians saying one thing and living something entirely different. And we we are we are this is not in my notes, but we are on the line of being able to show what we believe right now. All the pro-life, all the stuff that's been happening. We are going to be an obnoxious noise to culture if we don't step up and do something for foster care and adoption. And I love what Pastor Ted says, not everybody can foster, not everybody can adopt, but everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. We can all support somebody who's doing it. We can't just continue to spew out these things and then to live a completely different life. Again, throwback to last week's message. Not only are we fighting the same battles as the world, but what's most concerning is we're fighting in the same manner that the world is fighting. The name calling, belittling, demonizing, criticizing, venting, ranting. When God says that our fight is not against flesh and blood. God is calling us to a higher standard. He's calling us to bear the fruit of the Spirit, the first of which is love. Again, bearing fruit is not optional. It's a command. Loving outsiders isn't optional. Loving others isn't optional. Loving our enemies isn't optional. Loving people who don't look like us, act like us, or vote like us is not optional. It's called the great commandment to love God with all of your heart, your soul and mind and your strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul comes along and he says the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is love. John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. John 15, 17. This is my command. Love each other. See, when Jesus showed up, he flipped the script on thousands of years of law and tradition. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, we read it sometimes, but I don't think we understand or grasp the concept of what's happening. He's, we, we've, because, we've, because some of us have grown up in church, and I don't know if everybody has, but if you have, you've read or heard Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes and all the things, like so many times in your life, it just becomes like numb to us. These people were hearing it for the first time. Jesus shows up and he says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Amen. See, we are to love those who are antagonistic to our faith. We are to love those who can give nothing in return. And when we do that, we are most like our Heavenly Father. He says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, then what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Listen, when we hear these words, again, we often hear it through our cute little church filter. We've heard it and seen it, and all these, you know, we've heard it preached so many times. But again, these people were hearing it for the very first time. Their entire culture was built around loving those who could love you back and rejecting those who could not or did not. But Jesus called them and calls us to something completely different. After Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven, the early church was left with this command, Love one another. Pastor Andy Stanley Writes this The Jesus movement was characterized by uncharacteristic compassion, generosity, selflessness, and boldness. Boldness fueled by concern for those who had not yet heard the good news of what God had done on behalf of the world. Listen, historians and theologians have documented the unprecedented compassion that characterized Christians in the second and third centuries. Doing good for someone who was not able to do good for you in return was not considered virtuous in Greek and Roman culture. It was considered foolish, a passion indulged only by weak-willed women. But Christians considered no-strings-attached generosity the epitome of virtue. It was a tangible way of loving others as Christ had loved Look, the gospel of Jesus spread through the entire world because of the love of the early Christians. Their lives were characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. See, initially being called a Christian was a derogatory term. Early Christ followers didn't earn the name Christian simply by believing. They were called Christians because of their actions. Because when people saw their lives, they immediately knew that they were like Jesus. On the night Jesus was arrested, he met with his disciples for what's known as the Last Supper. And at this dinner, Jesus introduced this new command. And we read his words in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By what? By our love. How will they know that we're disciples? By the way that we love. When we love one another as Christ has loved us, it clearly identifies us as Christ's followers. See, when we hear love others as Christ has loved you, we immediately think of the cross, and rightfully so. But Jesus gave them this command before the cross. See, there was no point of reference for what they were about to experience. So when Jesus said, love others as I have loved you, each disciple would have had their own story of how Jesus had loved them. Matthew was a tax collector using the authority of the Roman government to steal money from his own people. He was hated by all, but Jesus called him anyway. He showed him grace and mercy, and he gave him a second chance. And it's as though Jesus was saying, Matthew, the same grace and the same mercy and the same forgiveness that I showed you, you go and love others in the same way that I have loved you. Nathaniel was very vocal about Jesus just before they met. He mocked the idea that anything good could come from Nazareth. But Jesus called him anyway. And it's as though Jesus was saying, Hey, Nathaniel, remember when you didn't believe that anything good could come from Nazareth? Remember when you disrespected me and my family and my town? Nathaniel, in the same way that I forgave you for your unbelief, in the same way that I loved you, go and love others. Everyone Jesus encountered would have had their own story of how he had loved them. What about the woman who was called in adultery? And her accusers were there with stones in hand ready to kill her for her sin, which would have been lawful because she had broken the, the law. Some believe that this was Mary Magdalene who would later become a disciple of Jesus. She was the first to see Jesus in person after he rose from the dead. What would Jesus say to her? He would say, Mary, just as I have forgiven your sin, just as I have shown you mercy and grace, just as I have loved you, love others in the same way. What about the man who was healed of leprosy? What would his story be? How would he love others as Jesus had loved him? What about the demon-possessed man who was healed and restored to his right mind? What about the woman who, at the well who had been married and divorced five times and was living with a man who wasn't her husband, but Jesus forgave her? What about the man whose daughter had died and he raised her to life? Or the woman with the issue of blood who pushed through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment? The list could go on and on. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. What's your story? What grace or mercy has Jesus shown you? What has he called you out of? What act of the flesh that we talked about last week, as Paul described in Galatians 5, did he set you free from? Whatever Jesus has done for you, however Jesus has shown you love, go and do that. Love others as Christ has loved you. story in the Bible where Jesus was criticized about a lady who had shown extravagant love to him and Jesus has this dialogue with this self-righteous person and I won't recap the whole story but at the end of it he says this if someone was forgiven of a lot versus someone who's forgiven a little who do you think is more grateful who do you think loves the most and he said the one who's forgiven the most you see, that's where we live our lives. Whatever you've been forgiven of, listen, I've been forgiven of so much, I want to love people in the same way. One of the most common things that people say when they come here is just, oh, this oh, church just feels real. It feels, off. they don't say authentic. That's one of our core values, but they describe authenticity. They describe the realness. And I think it's because The leaders of the church have been forgiven of much and so when people come in carrying a bunch of burdens we don't throw stones at them we say you know what i've either been there or i'm one or two decisions in the past from being where you are right now and so we show grace to people what's your story What, what what is it that jesus has called you from there are people in the room that have been set free from pornography people in the room that have been set free from drug addiction, people in the room that have been they have been divorced and remarried and their, their lives have just been completely restored and God has done something beautiful in their, in their new families. There are people that have walked through so many different things and the love that's in their heart needs to be expressed to someone else who's going through those same things. What would happen if every person in this room did this? I know contextually we're we're specifically talking about love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists. But we know historically that the early Christ followers exhibited all of the fruits of the Spirit. What would happen if we took the command of Jesus to bear much fruit, literally? How would the world respond? Would they once again label us Christians because of our deeds and not just because of our words? Whoever is forgiven of much, loves much. What have you been forgiven of? Love as Christ has loved us. Again, we look to the cross. He gave it all. But specifically, how has he individually loved you? How has he individually loved me? And how can I release that grace to someone else? They will know us by our love. God is calling us to be people of his spirit, not just his gifts, but also his fruit. The first of which is love. And remember, love is not optional. Bearing fruit is not optional. It's a command. And when we're not doing it, we fall into the acts of the flesh. But God is calling us higher. He's calling us to raise our standard of living, how we act, so that people can recognize Jesus by the love that flows through us. Would you bow your head just for a moment? And let's, I want to take 30 to 60 seconds with heads bowed. And in in a moment, I'm going to stop talking. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what He's saying to you. Every person in the room heard this message through a different filter. It's possible for us all to have heard something completely different because we're all walking in a different season. And So I want us to take 30 to 60 seconds or 90 seconds and I want us at our seat to individually ask the Holy Spirit what He wants to say to us through this message. What areas of our lives are we too judgmental and not showing the grace of God to others that's been shown to us what areas could I love more could I bear more fruit as Adrian plays let's take just a just a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you amen listen if you're in the room today and you've not connected yourself to the vine it is by definition impossible for you to bear the fruit of the spirit I don't know every person that's in the room I don't know where you're at with your relationship with God But today would be a beautiful day for you to connect your branch into the family of God, into the family tree of God, by surrendering your life to him. And not only Jesus becoming your savior, but also your Lord. We sang about it earlier. You are my king. If you're in the room today and you have never experienced that. I would be honored to lead you in a prayer and start you down this journey. And as we've talked about over the last several weeks, this is more than just a prayer. The prayer is just the beginning. It's just the start. But what's ahead of you after that moment is a life of adventure. A life of following Jesus should be full of adventure. So, if you're in the room today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, in just a moment we're going to say a prayer together, and then I'm going to invite you to come to the front, and then I'm going to pray with you individually. Would you stand? On On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.